0: Well, we've, we've been in this series
1: called We Would See Jesus uh, for, this is our fourth, our fourth week. And it's probably no surprise that the point of this series is us seeing Jesus, uh, that we would be able to see him truly, accurately, correctly. Uh, and so I just want to do a brief recap of, of where we've been, but we, we started off at the beginning of the book, in, in the Garden of Eden, with, with Adam and Eve and, and creation you know, fresh out of the box. The tags were still on the animals. You know, it was basically, it was basically what was happening. Um, and we saw Adam and Eve in this idyllic setting, uh, the setting of perfection. Uh, it, it's hard for me to imagine, to fathom what that was like with, with all of creation uh, in perfection and, and God walking amongst them in the garden. Um, C.S. Lewis described it this way he said, in perfect cyclical movement being, power and joy descended from God to man in the form of gift and returned from man to God in the form of obedient love and ecstatic adoration Uh, and we discovered in that setting our purpose and, and the purpose of life to know and to walk with uh, and to follow God, to love Him, uh, for who He is. Uh, but but the question is, how how can we know this invisible God, this invisible God that we are to called to know and to love and to walk with? How how can we know Him? And we discovered that He has chosen to reveal Himself in, in so many ways in in nature and in creation. Glad to have the doors open uh, this week to hear the birds singing. But He's revealed Himself. That way, he, he's revealed himself by the ways that he, he uh, I'm, I'm losing the word that I had, um, but by his activities in the world, by how he moves among us and, and miracles that he performs. Uh, but, but we saw in the second week that he has most fully revealed himself, most truly, most accurately in a way that we can comprehend, in a way that we can grasp. He's revealed himself in Jesus. And it's in the face of Jesus uh, that we discover God as he really is. Uh, And in in that week, we saw that in Jesus, we see that God's glory, in other words, what what God wants us to know most about him, his, his reputation, who he really is, we saw that God's glory consists not so much in his ability to exalt himself and to humble man, but rather in his willingness to humble himself for the sake of man. And we saw that's just such a different way than we so often conceive of God. Uh, The author talks about we we conceive of God as this God with a big stick uh, that's just just waiting for us to screw up so that that he can whack us on the head. Uh, But it turns out that that's that's not who this God is, that, that in Jesus we see this God who is willing to humble himself for our sake. And then last week, uh, just in time for the playoffs, uh, Jeff reminded us that, that in spite of the fact that we, as men and women, uh, for, for all of time, have been constantly uh, and, and regularly throwing the challenge flag at God and asking the question, is what he says really true? Uh, are things really as God describes them to be? We discovered that in spite of our Tendency and habit of doing so, of challenging him, we found that there is this God who has a yearning to meet his people's needs. And I love this quote from our reading as well uh, in describing him. Uh, we also saw the names of God, and that, that name I Am. The writer says this, he says, Where there is need, there is the I Am yearning to turn man's sorrow into bliss whenever man will let him. It is not, therefore, the hungry seeking bread, but rather the bread seeking the hungry. It is not the sad seeking for joy, but rather joy itself seeking the sad. And it is not emptiness seeking fullness, but rather fullness seeking emptiness, that he may fill it. And the focus was on our need, that we see Jesus through our need. As as we allow him to become what it is that we need, we see him as he really is. Which, that idea of need brings us to today. Because if our need is central in all of this, then then what is our first and basic need as humans? What is our first and basic need as men and women? Uh, If someone asked you that, in relationship to God, that what humanity's greatest need is, what would you say? Uh, best Sunday school answers only. No cheating in case you've already read the test. But, but best Sunday school answers only. What, what's our greatest need as men and women? Jesus. Jesus, yes. Always get the gold star for Jesus, no matter what. Yes?
0: To be saved from sin.
1: To be saved from sin, Yes? Absolutely. Prayer. Prayer. Okay, good. That's extra credit. <laughs> Shows a commitment. Who else? What's our greatest need? To feel loved. To feel loved. Grace. Grace, Grace. yes. Forgiveness. Extra. extra credit. Extra credit. <laughs> Grace. Oh. I said forgiveness. I knew I heard forgiveness. Yes. yes, forgiveness, right? Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Those—that's our greatest need, and that's what—that's what I would answer, as well. But but in this chapter, the author makes such a powerful point about what our first and basic need really is, and we find it. Uh, John was talking about the apostle John earlier. Uh, but, but we find that right at the outset of his gospel, uh, and, and we actually looked at this same verse at Christmas time, we talked about the word becoming flesh. So John says this he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. But it doesn't just say full of grace. It says, full of grace and truth. And we might think that that's just a one off, right? But actually, John's emphatic about this. And just a couple verses later, he repeats the same phrase again in talking about Jesus. He says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Double grace, grace upon grace. But just let's make sure that you know, he says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, what's so important about truth? Like, don't we just need grace? Don't we just need mercy? Don't we just need forgiveness? But the author makes the point that that without the truth, without seeing and knowing and grasping the truth about ourselves, that grace and mercy and forgiveness elude us because we are unable to see our need for them. That without seeing the truth about ourselves, we will fail to see our need for any of those other things. It's only as we discover that truth about ourselves that we can begin to understand our real condition as humanity, our real condition as men and women in this world. Because sin, which lives within us, is kind of like a disease within the body. It can be there for weeks or months or sometimes even years before it's discovered, before we're even aware of it. And it's only as we discover it that we have any sense of urgency or desire to deal with it. You know, I still remember the day back in 2012, Heather and I were just going about our lives, going about our business, uh, trying to raise four kids. I recently graduated from seminary and Was working at North Bible Church. Um, Heather was holding the house together and probably me at the same time. Um, And and on this particular day, she had an appointment to get some reading glasses because she felt like that was the next step in her life of maturity.
2: (laughs) Advanced in years? (laughs) Of being
1: advanced in years, like Tim Duncan. so, so she was going to get reading glasses, and I was going to meet uh, a friend for the first time. We'd never met in person, um, but he lived in Tennessee, or North Carolina, I think it was, um, and we'd been in contact for several years on some stuff, and he came to town to visit, and, and I wanted to treat him to Chino Bandito. Uh, I'd never been to Chino Bandito, but I'd heard much about it, and I thought, man, if somebody's coming to Phoenix for the first time, we're going to Chino Bandito. Um, So I was probably enjoying some kind of sweet and sour chicken Mexican thing um, over there when uh, Heather reaches out to me because she's just concluded her appointment at the optometrist or ophthalmologist or op-something. And I just remember her telling me, I just came out from the appointment and uh, the doctor saw something on my eye, a spot on my eye and she seemed really concerned about it. Uh, and so I just wanted to let you know and we can talk about it later. Uh, and and I remember sitting there at lunch going, well, she's like the eye doctor getting glasses, right? Like a spot on your eye. I don't know anything about spots on people's eyes. Like, how bad can this be? Um, of course, I hadn't seen the concern in the ophthalmologist's face um, the way that she had, uh, but, Anyway, that that conversation, that moment, turned into a doctor appointment, a doctor's appointment, uh, which turned into another doctor's appointment, which turned into another doctor's appointment, which turned into another doctor's appointment. And we kept going from one doctor to another, increasing in expertise and equipment and ability uh, until we finally got that diagnosis. Uh, and, And within 10 days of getting that diagnosis, and it it may have been shorter, it may have been the next week, I don't remember. Uh, We were on a plane flying to Philadelphia for one of the craziest surgeries um, you'll probably ever hear about. Uh, Because the experts um, in this diagnosis from all around the world, uh, people flying all around the world to Philadelphia uh, for this particular diagnosis and treatment. And and as I was reading this week, (coughs) In our chapter, uh, I was struck by this quote, and that's what brought me back to this moment. Uh, He says, it is by seeing the concern of the doctor and the extreme measures prescribed, that that surgery in Philadelphia, uh, that the patient learns for the first time the gravity of the trouble from which he or she is suffering. And, And he makes the argument that in the same way, It is is by seeing Jesus, especially on the cross, especially Jesus on the cross, that that we get an idea of the gravity of our own condition before God, That, that it's there as we see Jesus on that cross for me, for us, that we discover something of the truth about ourselves, a truth which we are so often in denial of, up until the moment of the truth being revealed. And I want to go back to that <laughs> surgery although I'm sure Heather doesn't. Uh, but I just want to ask the question what what would it take for you to allow someone to sew a piece of metal to the back of your eye? What what would it take for someone, and I, and I have some of these charming uh, devices that they use. Heather, you don't have to look if you don't want to. Um, and, and these are just some examples of them. But, but this is what this surgery involved, was the, the cutting of the eye muscles uh, in order to access the back of the eye. Uh, taking a contraption that looks something like this, um, and having radioactive seeds implanted into it. These these plates are made of gold or at least plated with gold uh, to try to stop the radiation from going backwards. Um, And so you are under anesthesia, have this sewn to the back of your eye, and then they take this giant lead cover and they put it over the front uh, to try to keep the radiation from spilling out the front. And they perform this surgery and then they ship you off to the what we affectionately refer to as the Glotel, right? Because there's all of these patients in the Glotel with wristbands that explain that they are radioactive. Uh, And so you are essentially placed in quarantine for five days with this item uh, sewn to the back of your eye uh, and left in that room. I was the food runner, this was before DoorDash. I actually invented DoorDash. And since we were staying in Philadelphia, what's that? A Diet Coke. A Diet Coke, yes. Um, I eventually learned to, (laughs) and Heather became concerned because we're living in a hotel room, right? And she's having trouble sleeping and I'm not sleeping. And so our schedule is like all over the place. So sometimes I'm going out at midnight or 2 a.m. or something to get get dinner. in downtown Philadelphia, and so I I eventually started leaving everything except cash and my driver's license Um, when I would go out at night. I thought, well, driver's license is good in case they find my body. Um, (laughs) Leave the wallet, leave rings, just cash. Um, So, um, but I did uh, find a picture of Heather. Um, This is her curled up with a teddy bear that Holly Delhusay gave her prior to our trip when we met with them, and they prayed for um, but yeah this was this was the situation for five for five days and she was in si- significant pain um, just imagine every time you forget not to move your eye uh, just yeah no bueno um, so what, what would it take I keep forgetting your back there <laughs> what would it take for you to allow someone to sew something to the back of your eye probably life or death and in our case that's, that's what it was, it was life or death There are certain things that you're only willing to do there's certain things that you would never even conceive of doing apart from it being a matter of life and death and we can therefore envision the danger that we face by the extreme measures that Christ was willing to go to for us In the same way that we faced what we faced at that time, God was looking down on our condition and knowing that it would take something extreme to bring us back to him. That that in seeing Jesus on that cross, we see the truth of ourselves, the truth of the gravity of the situation. That, That apart from this truth, we We can manage to to wander through life playing a charade or wearing a mask, uh, deceiving others about who we really are, about what our heart is really like, and and ultimately even deceiving ourselves. A a classic example which a small group will be looking at tonight, or this week rather, classic situation that i think reflects this is is the parable of the pharisee and the tax collector in luke chapter 18 and when they were looking up the passage last week at a small group to see what the story was i think it was mr coca that read the first line and the parable starts something like and jesus told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt and in that parable, we see a Pharisee, a, a religious leader, who, who goes into the temple and pulls a total Mark McGuire while he's in the temple. Now, oh, that's another story I can mention another time. Um, <laughs> actually, I'll mention it now. It um, was this big home run race in Major League Baseball. I don't even know what year it was, but Heather and I were either dating or married at the time. 1998 97-98? Yeah. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire... Um, they're battling it out. Who's going to break the record? Who's going to have the most home runs? And we just remember in this in this one TV interview after the game, I think McGuire played for St. Louis, right? The Cardinals. The interviewer asked him, you know, what do you think about all this, you know, in the home run derby? And Mark goes, yeah, you know, I just continue to amaze myself. Oh my <laughs> and forever, Heather and I have never forgotten that, right? It's just like, wow, I just... Man, I just continue to amaze myself. I, even I don't know how great I am. Right? That's, that's what he's saying, basically. Um, and what he should have said was, even I don't know what steroids can do for you. Like, this has blown all of my expectations out of the water. Right? Um, and we see, we see some of that in the Pharisee in the temple. Right? Because he, he walks in and he, and he, he stands you know, in his spot and he, just, and he just starts thanking God for how great he is. Right, God, God, I thank you that you have done such a great job on me, right? Or maybe I've done such a great job on myself. I don't know. We could debate that when I get to heaven. Um, but I just, I just thank you that I'm not like other people. Right? I'm not like them, you know, adulterers, liars, extortionists, or even like that tax collector over there. Right? Thank you, God. I am not like other people and then the scene pans to the tax collector uh, who that man was treating with contempt as he looked on him and we see this picture of this man who stands and and Jesus says that he he won't even lift his eyes to heaven but he just has his head down and, and is beating his chest pleading with God to have mercy on me he says God, have have mercy on me, a sinner. And then to everyone's shock who's listening to it, Jesus declares that that it was that tax collector who went home right with God that day and not the religious leader. That, That the tax collector of all people was the one who left, in essence, under God's blessing that day. And it's this classic example of how we can put on a show, how we can put on a mask, deceiving everyone else, without even being aware of it, deceiving ourselves, being unaware of, of what's really going on in my heart, and refusing to allow the truth that is seen through Jesus to penetrate and reveal myself for who I really am. It was striking to me that, especially in light of this passage, that with that Pharisee, no truth meant no grace. An inability or an unwillingness to see the truth about himself meant he had no grace for others. Perhaps no grace from God. Because of the condition of his heart. And so a refusal to see the truth not only keeps us from grace and mercy and forgiveness. As all those things we listed earlier. But it keeps us from extending those things to others as well. Uh, two quotes were striking to me in this regard this week. And this is kind of speaking of that tax collector situation. He says, although we may think that these things, in other words, what we look down on others for, although we may think these things may not have come to fruition in us as they have in others, Calvary or the cross declares that they are in us in essence and in embryo nonetheless. That if we're honest about ourselves, what we condemn in others is somewhere within us. It reminds me of that old saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. Right? That, that we're all just a few, a couple decisions away uh, from catastrophe. And then the next one. Uh, this one's rough. Uh, he says, "You and I may give one another the impression of being good, on, or earnest, godly Christians, but before the cross, we have to admit that we are not that sort of person at all." At Calvary, the naked truth is staring down at us all the time from the cross. And this is the phrase that I love. Challenging us to drop the pose and own the truth. Challenging us to drop the pose and own the truth. Uh, So our our question for this week, uh, and I'm going to open it up to you guys. Um, You have two options. The, the, the thought I gave you to process this week, and hopefully you're getting the text messages. If you're not, let me know, and we'll try to make sure um, that you are. Um, but the question was, can you, remo- can you recall a moment of truth between you and God? Uh, one of those moments of truth. Um, perhaps a moment when you were invited to drop the pose and to own the truth. So can you recall a moment of truth between you and God? Maybe he was revealing something about himself or something about you, um, calling you uh, to a moment of truth. Or perhaps you'd like to just share something out of the book that was striking to you um, and, and why that was significant for you. So open that up for a couple minutes here.
0: Sure, I'll open it up. I, I you guys all prayed for me on Thursday morning and two hours later, Fred C party with my situation. Six months. Lord, yeah. Lord, you want us to stay in this house? You don't, I don't care, it's yours, it's not mine. I was open with you guys about it. You all prayed for me, and everything everything changed in two hours. Hmm. And it all was going through and tomorrow morning we're signing. Hmm. So there's life that happens where bottom line is is you could be that extra grace required person in your mind that you think you are in a small group. Because, because if you go you vulnerable. You might think, oh, there's going to be five other people. I think, oh well, gosh, I'm not, I mean, why is it always him? He's always the one that's hmm. that's high maintenance, or is emotional, or doesn't care, or, or, or just or just he's the guy that is just the weirdo because he's always having problems. Hmm. Well, I think if we're really, I'll say we statement collectively as a church. Or as I say gather. <laughs> if this is real life and I can't share the bloody hell that I was going through this past week, then why are we here? Hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: So the answers that you guys had to me being honest was let's pray. And I and I think the posture for myself, is Lord, even if this prayer is not answered, I want what you want, not what I want. Hmm. And he flat out answered it right. in spades. And and the five and a half month situation wondering what's going to happen disappeared. And hmm. it's is working out in a way that only he can be glorified more. I've had these moments in the past in my life. But you never presume that it's gonna happen again. Right, yeah. But it did happen again. And I, I just wish I was like Joshua, in the Old Testament, I'd make stones and put them in front of me, in, in my house, just right. to remind, on a timeline, all the times he's done that. Yeah. So, thank you guys on Thursday morning. Yeah. And uh, don't ever feel like you can't open up to me about everything going on. Because I think that's 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 what we have to that's what we have to be as believers. And then maybe we don't maybe I don't have the answer for you, but at least you brought it up and I'm how to pray. Right. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. It's never too late to
1: start stacking stones like Joshua.
2: A few years ago things were hard in this situation I didn't understand and uh, it it's really weighing
0: on me what wasn't sleeping lots of situations. And um, I felt like finally I was invited to drop I guess. The pose and own the truth was just that God's ways are higher than my ways. So that's a verse
3: on my desk. I just had to trust that.
2: situation a few years ago where I was um, at risk of losing a very um, important close relationship in my life and um, had no idea it was heading that direction because I had my measuring stick out (laughs) and I was using it on myself and on others and um, God had already taken me to a place once before that where I thought he had taught me and shown me that that measuring stick was not what he wanted me to be using, but for some reason I just still hadn't gotten the whole picture. And when this happened, I was just completely broken, worse and more than I had ever been before, and I was completely and totally helpless and at his mercy. as painful as that was what was so amazing about it was that he he revealed that message of truth to me through a book that I was reading and it just it was so clear immediately in the first chapter that i had god's economy all wrong in my mind that his economy is not linear but it is vertical and human nature. Everything in human nature is linear. If you want to get from here to there, this is how you have to do that. And um, it was such a huge lesson and such a revelation to me. But what was so sweet and gentle about it was the way in which he met me in that moment. And um, it was with such compassion And um, I was at a conference this weekend, and they were talking about the situation in the garden when God found Adam and Eve, when he was looking for Adam and Eve because they were hiding. And it's, we so often are so, and I know I did for a long time, thought that God comes to us with such chastisement. And he doesn't, he comes to us with such amazing compassion and mercy. And the way the gentleman was offering the information, he said it's it's like when God came and he was looking for them, he wasn't looking for them like, where are you? It was where are you? I'm searching for you. And it was so crazy because he, he described it as though God was already out with his with his thread and his needle looking for a way to so clothes for us. Hmm. He already had new garments prepared for us in the midst of our sin, and he comes so compassionately to offer that. But until I recognized that truth of what was really inside of me and what I was capable of, not or incapable of offering someone else in terms of grace and love, and how I could, when I realized the depth of the of the pain that I was causing somebody else that I was so unaware of, hmm. it was in that that I said, oh God, I need you. But if I had not come to that realization, I could have continued on with my measuring stick, and it wouldn't have mattered. Right. And the truth is what sets
3: For me, it was um, a couple of years ago, um, and uh, it was a sermon that I listened to about uh, if you've your brother holds something against you, or you know, leave your offering and go reconcile yourself with him um, while you still have a chance. And uh, for a long time, um, there's been conflict in my my family. Not my current family with my family I grew up with. And um, it's and we've battled with each other and uh, not talked to each other and seen things like that and because what some people do and what other people do and how people react to situations. And it was always easy, it was like, you know, this is it's occurring like this because you're doing this and this is a problem because you keep saying these things or this and that and um, and eventually I started like working through this and I'm like how do we get through this how do we get through this And it was like if they would just apologize if they just own their crap and it eventually came to me it's like well I need to own my own crap and uh, and I started doing research and doing a lot of prayer with a friend on like just forgiveness and what that really is and it came down to is, Forgiving somebody wasn't about having them apologize. It was me going to them and apologizing for what I had done. Despite whether they feel remorse or not, it was you know what I need to go and own my own crap and just be like you know what I'm sorry I did all this. You know I, I've been I've been not acting with grace. I've not been acting with love. Um, despite what you might be still doing or what you did in the past, I'm sorry for my actions. Is that what it was? And, um, and after that, it was just sort of a weight off my shoulders. like, you know what? I'm good with God now. Whatever you guys are doing, it's, 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 that's your own battle. I, I'm now good with my savior and, um, and I'm not going to say anything anymore. I'm not going to cause conflict, but, um, I can't force you to be reconciled with God. I can only reconcile myself. So,
1: Yeah. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, there's been a lot of moments of truth uh, in my relationship with God over the years, which I guess are now forming into decades. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but the one that the one that reminds me, the, the one that I think of the most is, is probably the biggest turning point, one when Heather and I had just been married a couple of years, and uh, my good friend John DeRaco, good friend now, total stranger then, um, had invited me to this Bible study that I didn't want to go to, um, but part of me wanted to go to for some reason, uh, and so I found myself going even though I didn't want to go, and I was afraid of what might be required or asked of me, and I just remember during that time that God used that season in the men's Bible study that I was in to show me the truth about myself. And I just remember, and I've probably talked about it before, coming to this moment when, you know, uh, it was kind of a put up or shut up moment for me. Um, and and I, I, I felt like God was giving me the opportunity um, to either put up or shut up, you know. We kind of talk about these in terms we understand, you know. I don't know if you can relate to put up or shut up, but I can. Um, and so that's probably why God came to me in that way. Um, but it was it was either stop calling yourself a Christian or start living like one. And I just saw this huge divide between who I said I was in terms of being a Christian and, and what my life really looked like, what my relationship with my wife really looked like, what what my life looked like when nobody else was around and the doors were closed and um and and i came face to face with that truth in that moment and and what's so powerful to me about that in the context of this chapter is that jesus really is grace and truth Uh, and he had to start with the truth in order to offer me the grace in order for me to see my need for that grace but he does it in such a compassionate way. He, he does it in such a loving way that that's, it's grace and truth somehow wrapped into one. They aren't separated, <laughs> but, but it's like the truth is, is covered in grace and the, and the grace is infiltrated with the truth and you, you can't separate them. Uh, and I just remember how gracious he was in that, in that moment. And I think that's something that the author touches on in this chapter as well, is that, is that when we're, when we're re- revealed what our condition is, but there's a surefire solution for it, it's so much easier to welcome the truth and to receive the truth. And that's just what Jesus has done. He, he has revealed the truth about himself and the truth about God and the truth about us in such a way that makes him approachable and understandable. Something that we can comprehend. And if the truth about us flows down from that cross on Calvary, so does the truth about God. So does the truth about who he is. And I just have this final quote. It says, in the face of Jesus marred for us we see that God is not against the sinner but for him that he is not his enemy but his friend that in Christ he has not set new and unattainable standards but has come to offer forgiveness, peace, and new life and and then this is the part that makes it available to me (laughs) that he's come to offer forgiveness, peace, and new life to those who have fallen down on every standard that there is that's the offer. It's an invitation. And Next week we're going to see Jesus as the door. So, so this week we see the truth. Uh, and next week he offers us the door. Uh, but if you haven't had that moment of truth with God yet, consider this an encouragement to face it. Uh, consider this an encouragement to... To take that opportunity. To know your heart. To drop the pose, drop the charades, drop the mask. To to be willing to take a deep look inside. It's in there that you'll discover not just truth, but grace. In there you'll not just find conviction, but grace and mercy and forgiveness as well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth. I shudder to think how lost I would still be in this world. What my life would look like at this point if it hadn't been for grace and truth coming. Lord, would you give every person in this room the courage to see and to own the truth and wrap it in that grace in a way that only you can do. <clears throat> Help us to be encouraged that you are for us, that you are seeking us out, that we don't have to hunt you down with our empty stomachs, but, but you are the bread seeking to fill every need that we have. We give you ourselves. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: In
2: just a moment, we'll rejoin the message for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please check our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at
1: Now, some closing thoughts from this week's message. Heather, thank you for letting me share your story, our story. Um, not the easiest thing to recount or relive, Um But in light of the truth about ourselves, uh, I found that line so encouraging and comforting. The cross has the final word. Regardless of everything else, of anything else, uh, the cross has the final word. What what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for me, uh, outlasts anything else. All of our doubts, all of our fears, all of our trials, our struggles. It's done. It's finished. He has made a way. And I just want to close with this quote from Tim Keller, uh, if Jonathan can find it in there. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. That's the truth. That you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. But there's a second part. That's that you're more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. Take that hope today. Dare to hope. Dare to believe it. Dare to hope. And see where it takes you. And in the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace
0: on that piece today. Amen. Amen. <laughs>